All right. Well, good morning, Salt City. It is, uh, it's awesome. Guys, I'm honored to, to be with you guys. We, we like are big fans of, of Salt City and the Salt Company here down in, or over in Madison, even though I know that you guys from Minnesota don't really like us that much. I pulled into Salt Company on Thursday night, and the first person I saw that was like standing in the parking lot as I pulled in had a shirt on that said, better dead than red, right? So um, I was like, welcome, all right? It was, it was awesome. But uh, guys, the, the retreat was, was so fun. Guys, God is doing some like amazing things in, in the life of this church and Salt Company. Jordan and the team, guys, they're, they're some of the best, like godliest leaders that, that I've been around. It was a, an awesome weekend uh, with them. But simultaneously though, it was like, it was kind of tough for me. It was, it was full of like kind of sadness. Um, I don't know if you had any football fans in here, but the Badgers, they lost, right? Not too, not too great. And, but here's the thing, guys. The, the, the students at the U, they started like heckling me, right? And like, just like, I'd walk out of the room and they'd be like, the Badgers suck. And I'm just like, what? You know? So I had to remind them, I was like, I am a pastor, but I'm not that godly yet. I can still throw down, okay? So <laughs> after that, they kind of chilled out with it a little bit. But um, guys, I'm excited for this morning. Here's, here's where we're at, okay? Um, just getting back from this retreat, um, I thought it would be cool to, to share with you uh, some of what we've been talking about with, with the students on this retreat. So as a church, as these college students come back and you're, you're rubbing shoulders uh, with them, you can kind of like share in, in some of their experiences and some of the things that, that they've been learning. And so grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter eight. All right, the, the SALT retreat theme this year was one word, unexpected. All right, that we have this unexpected God with an unexpected message to an unexpected group of people for an unexpected future. And in Romans chapter eight, we're, we're gonna be looking at this unexpected struggle that, that we have as Christians. That, that many of you know this, but you know, Jesus, he, he comes in and through faith, he, he saves us, he forgives us, he secures us by his love. But with the, the ongoing walk with him, sin in our lives, although crushed by the power of the gospel, there's, there's still this real struggle that we have with it. Even as Christians, as we walk with Jesus, we're gonna have this struggle with sin until we're with Jesus for eternity and glory. And guys, with this, you know, one of the, the great critiques of, among Christians today is that there, there's a seeming like disconnect between the, the God that we say that we love and follow and the, the way that we live in love and the everyday stuff of life. You know, in fact, one of the leading research groups in our country called the Barna Group uh, has conducted like over a million interviews with people both inside and, and outside of the, the church. And one of the words that has been most attributed to, to Christians the most frequently, you can probably guess it, is the word hypocrite. And in, in one sense, if you're a Christian and you like to debate, you can kind of recoil to, to this statement and you can say, well, that's just like a, an unfair stereotype, and you might explain it as though like coming to God through faith in Jesus and becoming a Christian, that, that makes you forgiven and saved, but that doesn't make you perfect. And so in one sense, you can kind of say that, that all Christians are, are hypocrites, because although we are following Jesus and we, we love Jesus, we can't be perfect necessarily like him as we serve him and follow him. But guys, there's another sense that, that's really just this unsettling, unsettling reality that for many Christians... You know, we can, we can be part of like something big like this. We can be part of like a worship service and we can be excited and, and clapping our hands and, you know, we can, we can raise our hands at the best part of the song and we can be really jacked up in, in an awesome way and singing loud. And then the service ends and we can kind of just walk out and immediately 
get into worldly living. And we don't find like a disconnect between the two. And guys, as Christians, we, we live in this real tension that the struggle is real, that, that we learn through the gospel as we open up the Bible, we learn about this unexpected love of God. We, we learn about this like unexpected father who has this family that he invites us into. And here's what happens to, to a lot of people. We, we hear this gospel message, this crazy, relentless love of God. We, we say yes to Jesus. We, we start walking with him. We're kind of like on this mountaintop experience. We're like on fire for God. And it's almost like we're just like floating on this like holy cloud and then all of a sudden like a couple days, couple weeks, couple months pass and we just get slammed with temptation and sin. And as people begin to walk with Jesus, it's just kind of like, okay, what, what just happened? Like there's this real temptation, this real sin. It's, it's a big part of our lives. As Christians, guys, we, we wanna follow God. We wanna be about the things of God, but it's a struggle to actually live it out. And I, and I love that the Bible, guys, is, is so honest. It's the most honest book in the world, right? We see the Apostle Paul. And if you can relate to me on this, this struggle, the Apostle Paul, he does this too. And in Romans chapter seven, right at the end of Romans chapter seven, he, he describes his life and he says, the things that I wanna do, I don't do. The things that I hate, I keep doing. Like this is his struggle in life as he tries to be a man of God. And guys, if we're honest, we all experience this struggle at times with sin. But here's the question. Like what can we do about this struggle? I mean, is, is this actually a fight that we can actually win? And here's, here's what I think to be true, guys. I don't think that our, our, our main problem is that we find sin like really attractive. That's, that's certainly a problem. But I think our, our main problem guys, is that we don't find God as attractive as he really is. We're not like amazed by God in the gospel of Jesus. And this can be especially true for those of you who have you've grown up in the church, right? That you've been a Christian forever. You came out of the womb. Your first word was Jesus, right? And you've been to the services. You've been to Easter's and Christmas's. You've, you know the messages. You know the Bible stories. And what can happen is you can kind of just get used to God, you can get used to the gospel and, and the gospel that was once like exhilarating and like captivating and, and thrilling has just kind of become like normal. And, and some of you, may, some of us, we, we exist in this place today that, that you're kind of just like going through the motions. You, you believe, you, you love God, but you're in this fight of, of Romans chapter seven with sin and you're losing because of your lack of amazement in the gospel. And so here's my goal this morning, guys. I, I wanna try and deepen our understanding and our amazement and our excitement for the gospel, which I believe will ultimately help us live for God and, and find victory over sin and temptation in our lives. And, and, I, and I really want you to know this, guys. Romans 8 is, is really just all about this. Romans 8 is a, is a chapter of victory. It's a chapter of victory over sin, and it's filled with not just good news, but like this great amazing, captivating gospel news that guys, when we understand it, when we don't just hear it, but it kind of like moves from our head to our heart, it literally changes everything. And so let's get into this. Romans chapter eight, we're gonna start in verse 12, and this is what we see. It says, so then, brothers, all right, and I'll stop there. I'm not gonna stop every three words, but we gotta stop, okay? Because what Paul is saying is he's saying, in light of all the good news that he just shared in verses one through 11, he says, so then, 
All right, so if we, if we look back at, at verses one through 11, he's saying that in light of the fact that, that if we've come to Jesus in faith, there's no more condemnation for sin, that you don't stand condemned anymore, that we have eternal life with God, that Jesus has done something significant. He's saved us, he's, he's forgiven us, he's crossed us from death to life. He's given us his Holy Spirit and he's given us the power and the presence of the Spirit to help us live for and with God. And so Paul says, so then, brothers, and he's talking to brothers, and in this context, it means that he's just talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have come to Jesus, and they're part of the family of God, and they have the Holy Spirit. And I'll, and I'll say this, guys, Romans 8 can really be called like, it's a chapter of victory, but it's really a, a chapter of the Holy Spirit. Because throughout Romans 8, you know, Paul gives us like directions on how to live in, in freedom from sin, but the way that he begins to talk about this is by talking about the Holy Spirit. And in chapter eight, he mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times in the first 27 verses, and his point is this, is that the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit, which is to say that the Christian life is really just a life that is, is animated, it's sustained, it's directed, and it's powered by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit for hope, for joy, for security, and ultimately for victory over sin. And if you're kind of new to Salt City, if you're new to like Christianity and in the, the Bible, I know talking about the Holy Spirit, it might seem like weird, like you're thinking like, okay, I've heard the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Ghost is just like, I know it's Halloween, like just like a weird episode of Stranger Things, right? It's just like, it might be a little bit weird to you, but honestly, if you're, if you're here at Salt City and you've been coming around for a while, if you're not a Christian, like a lot of things might seem weird, right? You're raising your hands, you're clapping, we're praying, like we're dipping people in water, Right, having snack time with bread and juice, like a lot, of weird, a lot of weird things. But one of the things that we believe from the Bible is that when you become a Christian, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Like Paul shares this in Romans 8, 11, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. And guys, when we consider the Holy Spirit, it's important that we know that we're, we're talking about God. We just need to be clear on that, that the Holy Spirit is, is not a force it's not like a, a, a thing or just a, a power, but a person. And the Holy Spirit is whom we believe and dwells Christians upon faith. And it's in, light, in, in this light that Paul shares everything. If you look back to verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But this next part... I, I, this is what kind of like my thing. I tell people to circle things and underline things in the Bible all the time, okay? So underline this next part. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right, he says, brothers, those of you who have the Spirit of God, we are debtors to the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to that. But look at verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And this is absolutely key to our understanding here and, and really just lends kind of like to the big idea today that as we talk about the lives that we live and the struggles that we all have with sin, here's what you need to know. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. But guys, you'll have the life you want when you're led by the Spirit. This is the issue. And when we talk about being led by the Spirit, I think many, many of us, many people just like think wrongly about this, like many people think about being led by the Spirit as like the Spirit helping us to make decisions in life. And sure, He's our guide and our counselor, but you know, many people just kind of boil this down to like, you know, the Spirit like helps us to make decisions about choosing the right spouse or picking the right job or the right house or or whatever. You know, you kind of view like being led by the Spirit like, hey Alexa, right? <laughs> what do I do in this situation? But guys, this is that's not that's not it. 
The Apostle Paul here gives us like a much more biblical understanding of what it means to be led by the Spirit. And he focuses on, on several things that the Holy Spirit leads us towards, which will deepen our understanding of the gospel, will help us to see how good God is, and it's gonna allow us to win this war of sin that we all struggle with. And the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit leads us into holiness. Look back to verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He says, if we have the Holy Spirit, we're debtors to the Holy Spirit. He says, we're not in debt to our flesh, we're not in debt to, to, the, to sin in our life, but he says, you're in debt to the, the Spirit. So the question naturally is, is like, well, why are we in debt to the Holy Spirit? And, it, and I think it's this, because we've been given the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us life. That the Holy Spirit in our lives has applied to us all that Jesus achieved for us. That he saves us from our sin, he pronounces no condemnation for us, he gives us eternal life, that the Spirit has literally just given us everything. And he says, so look, like since the Spirit has freed you from death and your flesh and your sin, you now have an obligation with the life that you've been given, this new life. And it's kind of like this, okay? When I turned 16, I got my driver's license. My parents gave me a truck, all right? And my dad, like, we didn't have like a lot of like one-on-one -on -one talks. Do you guys have Cracker Barrels up here in Minnesota? My dad had a thing for like Cracker Barrel rocking chairs, right? And like he bought two of them for when he wanted to have a conversation with me and he put them on the porch. And so he's like, let's go sit on the Cracker Barrel rocking chairs. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what is we doing? So we go outside and he points. He's like, you know what that is? And he's pointing to the truck. I'm like, truck, you know? And he's like, no. And he's just like smoking a cigarette and it's like, I'm like, what is he doing right now? He's like, that's a 5,000 pound bullet. Don't be an idiot and kill yourself or kill someone else. Because there was this obligation that I had from receiving this gift from my parents to drive responsibly. Because in essence, this is what Paul is saying, that God has given you everything, even himself. Now here's how we live in response to that. And he says our obligation in our debt is now to live according to the Spirit's desires for our life, not our flesh's desire. And the Spirit's desire for our lives is to live like Jesus, it's to be like Jesus, it's to be holy which means to be set apart. That holiness is, is really just Christ-likeness. It's living like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, not living in our flesh and not living out of our sin. If in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, the apostle Paul says this. He says, to be imitators of God. This is what Jesus saves us for. And as we live our lives being led by the Spirit, we begin to look more and more like the Jesus that we love, like the Jesus that has saved us. This is what Paul says in Romans eight twenty nine that the goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so what Paul is saying, guys, is that if we're truly in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit of God within us, we can't stay the same. We can't keep living in the flesh. And you can kind of think of it like this, okay? If there's a, if there's a fire in the fireplace, right? Well, I asked this question at the, the salt retreat and it didn't go well. I'll just tell you the answer, right? If there's a fire in the fireplace, like the natural result is Smoke, right? Uh, yeah, I asked that, and there were people were like, ash? No, I'm like, no, heat. Yeah, yeah, it's all, yeah, but the smoke, right? That, that really, if there's a fire burning, there's gonna be smoke coming out of the chimney. Guys, this is what Paul is talking about, that if the Holy Spirit is in us in burning, he's lit the fire in us. He's lit this flame. The natural result is gonna be smoke coming out 
of our lives. And that will be holiness, not sin. You guys are going through Galatians. When you get to chapter five, Paul calls this the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things, guys, this is the smoke that comes from the life of a Christian. It's not pride. It's not anger. It's not greed and idolatry and lust or fill in the blank with whatever sin struggle you have. So the question is, is like, how can we possibly do this? And Paul tells us right here, he says it's being led by the Spirit, that one of the primary things that the Spirit leads us towards, look back to verse 13, is to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right? He, he says that we, we kill sin. In the, in, the, in the word in Greek that Paul uses here, guys, for a kill, it's, like, it's, this, it's this word of like extreme violence. That what he's po- pointing to is, is that there's like a violent streak in the life of a Christian, like extreme violence, but it's not towards like other people that think differently than you do. It's, it's not towards anything like that, but it's towards our sin. There's a violence towards your pride and your greed and your racism and your addictions. Paul is talking about this relentless, full-hearted war against sin. And so what this practically means is that as Christians, we don't play games with sin. We don't, seem to, we don't like seek to like wean ourselves off of sin. We don't kind of try and manage our sin and kind of keep it over here in the corner of our life and I'm just gonna make sure it doesn't get out of control but, but we're literally to be killing it because you need to understand this, guys. When it comes to sin, if we're not killing sin, sin is killing us. Paul says it will lead to death and it's true. He's talking about, as he says this, he's talking about a lifestyle of killing sin because it's an ongoing thing that we will do until we die and we're in eternity in glory with God. Now maybe this like just seems like totally overwhelming for you and like kind of hopeless. You're, you're sitting here thinking about like the sin struggles that you have right now and thinking, man, there's like no way. Like for the rest of my life. Like, I, you're, maybe you're thinking like, I can't even like go like a week, a couple days without living out of my flesh in my sin. How the heck can I even do this? And a lot of people just say, you know what, forget about it. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna try. Because I love this, because with Jesus, there's always good news. There's great news, there's gospel news that God gives us the ability to do this. Because this happens not by our own strength and self-discipline. This is not you giving it the college try and kind of just like white knuckling it and just kind of like trying your best but the spirit that has been given to you, he helps us and he helps us kill sin and this is how, look at verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. All right, so Paul says that the Holy Spirit talks to our spirit to help us to kill sin and this is how he helps us. What does he say? The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, underline this, circle it in your Bible, that we are children of God And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And guys, when we get this, like this is just like life-changing stuff right here. Like this is not like an opportunity, like a time for us just to hear this and just kind of be like, oh yeah. Like this is like God has breathed this out for us to have victory over sin so that we can be close to him and be the men and women that he has created us to be. That we're children of God We're heirs of God, that we don't just get salvation and forgiveness, but we actually get God himself, that we get everything that Jesus earned for us and we get to enjoy it with him for eternity. And so guys, here's what this means, guys. In our fight with sin, the spirit leads us to holiness 
And the Spirit speaks to our spirit and he reinforces to us our standing with God so that when our flesh like kind of just flares up, the Spirit speaks up and he talks to you and he tells you really good news, right? And this isn't like, you remember those, like, uh, those, those cartoons where like the devil's on one shoulder and the angel's on the other shoulder? This isn't kind of like that because you know, in that situation, like the devil's kind of like, hey, do this thing, right? And then the angel's over here being like, don't do it. Right, this isn't that, this isn't what Paul is saying because in that situation, like that angel is just kind of saying, don't do that thing. But this is not what's happening here because when the spirit speaks to our spirit, he's not just saying don't do it, but he's preaching to us. He's preaching good news, he's saying you're a child of God, he's preaching the gospel, he says you're heirs with Christ. And guys, this is like the key, this is like how we combat sin and walk in holiness that we combat the attractiveness of sin with something way more attractive than sin, the gospel of Jesus, that we're children of God. And what Paul is saying is that sin can be cut off at the root when we walk in holiness and freedom from sin if we continually expose ourselves to the unimaginable, relentless love of God, that God loves you. And when we expose ourselves to this gospel, guys, what it does is it really just kind of creates a wave of love and gratitude and a, and a sense of obligation that we get to live for and with Jesus, holy. And guys, I'll, I'll tell you this, like, you can, in fact, kill sin's power over you. You can, by focusing on Jesus's redemption for you. And as you do this, guys, it's gonna cause you to, to hate sin because it's gonna pale in the face of the beauty of the gospel. And guys, this is part of the reason why our network of churches, we, we emphasize being like a Bible-saturated community so much. Because God has given us his word and the spirit speaks to our spirit. And when he's speaking to us, he's not just kind of sitting there being like, hey, right? But what is he speaking? He's speaking scripture, he's speaking the truths of the Bible. And when the words of the Bible are in you, the Spirit speaks them to you. And when all the amazing truths of the gospel like flood our minds, sin loses its power and we can live in holiness like Jesus, that God gives us that ability, he's that good. So the Holy Spirit leads us to holiness, but he also does this. The second thing, the Holy Spirit leads us to have assurance in our salvation. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because I'll say this, one of the, one of the things I love about our, our family of churches and the SALT Network is that we have some really godly leaders as pastors that are just like incredible Bible teachers. You guys have like one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard leading your church. But there's a guy by the name of Jake Each that's taught me so much about this passage of which I wanna share some of it with you, but listen to this, this, this sin-killing behavior that the Spirit leads us to comes from our understanding of like what God has done, that we're adopted by God as sons. And when he talks about being adopted as sons, guys, he's, he's not making like a sexist statement, but this is like a status statement because in this time period, daughters were not able to inherit property. They weren't like legal heirs. And so when Paul refers to us all being like adopted as sons, he's saying this is how God is treating us all, that this is our status before God as, as Christians, that he adopts us, we're his kids. And guys, there's assurance in this. 
And here's why, gosh, I said this, here's why insurance is so, right? Drew's gonna lead a breakout session after church and about insurance, but here's why assurance is such a good thing for us. Because many of us as Christians, we, we walk through life with just like fear and questions around salvation. You know, just the other day I was, I was at the gym and like the gym, you know, side note, like the gym is just a weird place for guys. If any of you guys work out, like every guy in there just like think he's like super tough and hard, like walk around like mean mugging each other and like looking each other up and down, I could totally beat him up, right? And so I just play into that a little bit and I walk around like all tough and like mean mug guys and then I walk up to him and I'm like, hey, right? <laughs> just totally throws him off. It's just an awesome thing. And we start talking and Usually, eventually, it becomes like, hey, what do you do? And I tell them I'm a pastor, and then, you know, at that point, there's like one of two things that happens. They either like, oh, wow, that's super weird, and they leave and never talk to me again, or they like share their entire life story with me. But the other day, I, was, I did this to a guy, and uh, it, was, it was funny, but he started like just like opening up about his life. And as he was sharing about his life, he was just constantly questioning, have I done enough for God? That he, he lived in this fear, he, like literally, I could, I could feel it from him. It was just like this, this tangible thing, like he had this fear, like did I mess up too much last night? Like does God love me? Like do I believe the right things? Like do I believe exactly what I need? Like, like how can I be sure that God loves me? How can I be sure that like I'm going to heaven? Like this is the stuff he was wrestling with. And Paul says right here, like we don't need to fear because if you have the spirit of God through faith in Jesus, you've been adopted by God and you're completely secure in his family. And this is so significant because sometimes we can reduce like being a Christian to just being saved or forgiven. And while that's completely true, guys, this really kind of just like cheapens our salvation a bit and it doesn't really communicate the, the relationship that we have and the assurance that we can have with God. Because if we're just like forgiven, I remember hearing like Jake say this, like then God doesn't seem like a dad. And this is how he reveals himself in the Bible, that he reveals himself as a father, that if we're just forgiven, that God just kind of seems like a, a really nice boss, right? That he's, he's patient with you because he, he knows that you're a screw up. But he, and he's patient when you mess up, but, but there's really ultimately fear in this be, because we ask like, have I done enough? Like, did I mess up too much? Like, am I gonna get fired? But listen, guys, we didn't receive a spirit of slavery. We didn't receive a spirit of employment to fall back into fear. We've received a spirit of adoption that we're his kids. And when we get this, guys, it changes everything about the way that we view God. It's like completely, radically trans transformed my life as a man knowing that I have a dad, a heavenly dad, Zephaniah 3.17, that rejoices over me. Look back to verse 16. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit is speaking to our spirit and he's telling us this good news of our adoption, that we have a dad. And because of this good news that he's reinforcing to us, like we can cry out, Abba, Father, and Abba is just a term that, that young Hebrew children would use because it was so easy to say. It was kind of like dada. It's this very intimate term, and as we hear this good news from the Spirit, we cry out in excitement, Abba, like, I have a dad. Like, there he is, he loves me. 
He's the best dad in the world, and I'm with him. He loves me. He's brought me into his family. He's there for me. It's kind of like this, guys. One of the best day, parts of my day, and I know it's gonna be short-lived, but when I get to see my kids after work, right, I just, I hope this day never ends. I hope they're like 20 and I walk in and this is still the same thing, but, but I walk in and they're playing and stuff and they hear the door open and it's just like everything in my house just goes quiet. And the kids like look up and they look at me and they're just like, Daddy! And they run and they hug me and we just stand there in the door and I just hug them because it's like this. It's like this. This is the picture that Paul has given us. God is like that, Abba, that we can run in excitement to him. We don't have to run from him, that he grabs us like a dad. He holds us close to him. And there's security and there's assurance in this that nothing can separate us from his love, that nothing can rip us away from him. That just like my kids don't have to wonder if I'm gonna be their dad and if I love them and if I want them, we can know that God sees us. And because he's adopted us, not just forgiven, we, we know that there's assurance in this, that, that Jesus has made this possible. He's applied everything to us, and the Holy Spirit gives us that amount of assurance. And I love the way that John Piper talks about this. He, talks, he says this. I think it's going to come up on the screen. He says, we don't infer logically the fatherhood of God through the testimony of spirit, but we enjoy emotionally the fatherhood of God through the testimony of spirit. And when he says this, guys, he, he's telling us that, that when we hear of like our adoption, the reaction isn't just like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I got it. Like, what, what next? what's next? Like, you know? But rather, when we hear of like our adoption, that we have a dad, like it, it wells up like an emotional response in us that, that I have a dad, like I'm loved. And here's where this gets really, really practical, guys. This emotional response is devastating to sin in our lives. Because Jesus isn't just good, but he's better. He's better than everything. That Jesus has more grace than I have sin. He's a better savior than I'm a sinner. And we cry out in excitement, Abba. And it just chokes out the power of sin. Timothy Keller, if you've ever heard of him, gave a great illustration of this that when I heard this, like it just like put pictures to these words and I think it'll be helpful. But there's a, he talked about this Vietnamese movie called Three Seasons. Never seen it. Never watch it. It's got subtitles. Don't mess with that, okay? <laughs> but it's this Vietnamese movie. Um, it's about a rickshaw driver, which a rickshaw driver is like a taxi driver on a bike. And this driver likes this girl in town, and she's a prostitute. And uh, she takes her clients to these, this really nice hotel to be with them and in this movie, like she, she has ambition in her life and um, like she dreams of one day just kind of going to that hotel by herself. Like she, she wants that. But this guy, this, this driver, he, he likes her and he pursues her. He, he waits for her outside this hotel when she gets done with these guys and, and drives her home. And he wants to be with her, but he doesn't have money. And so he hears of this race that he can get into and this rickshaw race and he can win $50, which is the amount that it costs to be with this girl. And so... He enters this race, he, he wins, he gets $50, he goes to this girl and says, hey, I got, I got the money. And so they go to this hotel, and as Keller's like explaining this, he says, you're just kind of waiting for this, like, this hot sex scene to happen. But they open the door to the hotel room, and he's got dinner waiting for her. And they go in, and he's like, hey, look, I don't want to sleep with you. 
but I just want you to have a nice night. I want you to eat dinner, just have a quiet night, and I want to watch you fall asleep. And that's where it's like, it was like really beautiful until then, and that's, like, that's kind of like what serial killers do, right? So it's like <laughs> kind of strange. But, but she goes to sleep, he leaves, and in the morning she has breakfast waiting for her as she wakes up. And in that moment, she realizes she could never go back to prostitution. That the way that this guy loved her totally changed her. Guys, when we understand that we've been adopted by God, when we understand God's love like that, it changes everything. Sin loses its appeal, loses its grip on our lives, and there's security and joy for you as a Christian. So the Spirit leads us to holiness, assurance, and we could stop there, but there's one more thing I wanna say. The gospel just keeps getting better. The Holy Spirit leads us to an inheritance. Verse 17, actually we'll start in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Paul says that, that God's family, you as God's adopted kids through faith, will share in our brother Jesus' suffering, but we will also share in his glory. And so guys, let's just get intensely practical as we close this thing down. Is following Jesus worth it? I mean, that's the question. When I was just getting my hair cut the other day, this guy, he just like got out of prison like a few months ago. Does a good job, right? Look good? <laughs> you, you're laughing at me. What are you doing? Like, what are you? But I was, I was talking to him and sharing the gospel with him and I've been doing this for months and, and he looked at me last time I got my hair cut and he said, I just need to know if it's worth it. Because if it's true, my life will change drastically. Is it worth it? That's the question. Paul answers like with an emphatic, yes, like absolutely. I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Fry, this old guy, kind of senile, couldn't remember my name, but knew every chapter of the Bible, right? And he would always say, it's all about the benefits. So what are these benefits and this inheritance that the Spirit leads us to? Guys, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter one. All right, this is how we're gonna end. And, and guys, I, I wanna encourage you, Ephesians chapter one is, is one of the best like, chapters in the entire Bible. I, I love it. I'd encourage you, like before you go to bed tonight, read through this, pray through this, read it every single day this week and just see what God does in your life. But in, in Ephesians chapter one, Paul basically lays out the gospel and he talks about, is it worth it? And he gives like, these great benefits, this inheritance that, that Jesus leads us to, of which I'm gonna mention a few. Look at this, in, in verses three and four, we, we see that, that he has chosen us. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that, guys, this means that God, he, he sees you. Someone in here needs to know that like, God is not just like a distant being far off and doesn't really care, like, he sees you, he chooses you. This is like elementary school, right, when playing kickball, and you were always that like, last person being chosen, you're like, does anybody, like, hey, I'm right here, like, you know. Like God, like he chooses you. He sees you, he's chosen you as his kid. Look at verse five, he's adopted you, that he's like a father, a good father. And he wants to make you his kid. He wants to give you that assurance, I almost said insurance again, assurance of his love and security in that. Look at verse seven, that he's redeemed you. You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That guys, that we're free from the guilt of sin, there's no condemnation, that he saves us, that there's freedom and joy in this. Verse 11, 
He gives us an inheritance, like you read all of this. In God, he gives us everything that Jesus has. Eternity and glory. And then verses 13 and 14, guys, he seals you with the spirit that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No one can snatch you out of his grip. This is Jesus and his gospel. Because when we get this, it changes everything about our life. We can walk in holiness. We can win this war in this struggle of sin. So I'd ask you, like, I don't know where everybody's at, but like, what is keeping you from Jesus? Like, where are you at in your faith? No matter where you are, guys, you can run to God. He's a good father. And on the cross of Jesus, as he's there with his arms spread, dying for your sin, it's an invitation with arms wide open for you to run to Jesus. And he will take you in as a good father and save you and give you everything, even himself through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because you'll have the life when you want, that you want when you're led by the Spirit. Let me pray. God, thanks for this church. God, I, I thank you for these couple of days that I've been up here in the Twin Cities and just like, just a reminder of like what you're doing. God, thank you for all the changed lives that are represented here, that are represented at Camp Victory right now. God, thank you that you, you love us, that you've adopted us through faith in Jesus. And so I pray for, for your kids in here today, that you would speak to them. Even as we sing these, these songs, would we be just like preaching the gospel to ourselves as we sing these words, that we would remind ourselves that we have been chosen, that we've been given everything, that we have you, Jesus. You've crossed us from death to life, that there's joy and there's hope, there's security, and would that just well up in just like an overflow of just explosive worship as we just say thank you and we love you. And for those in here that don't know you and aren't following you, but you've brought them here. We've, we know that you've brought them here in your sovereignty to, to introduce them to Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, do your work. Continue to show them your love and bring them to you. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.